You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. It is kind of neat to hear as we're singing the thunder of the Lord and hear that just the... We don't do smoke up here, do we? Right? It's just, but he does his own, and it's, it's kind of neat. So good to worship together this morning. Let's, let's go to God's Word. Let's turn in our scriptures to Romans chapter 4 once again. And we study together, and we come under his word together. Pastor and flock, all of us need to come under this word. And so we come to Romans 4 today. On your way there, we're gonna, I'll start in verse 13. We're going to really be in 18 here, but I uh, have one picture in there from last week from Malachi. Turn this in, and glad to show this one here. Uh, he's got last week, 4th of July, Independence Day weekend, Declaration of Independence. We talked about that, but then this Declaration of Independence from Sin, signed by God, and that's signature through Christ on the cross. So thank you, Malachi, for bringing that out for us. Kids that you guys are drawing, I think there might be even some clipboards left. Feel free to get up if you need a clipboard to draw a picture, or mom and dad, or, or older, but um, feel free to draw pictures and, and listen along as you hear different things spoken during the sermon to draw those out. Um, and adults, have a few, well, have one, maybe taken me up on the offer, draw as well. You're welcome to do that. You can turn in anonymously here, but... Uh, Anyway, let's come to our text for today. Let's start in 13, chapter 4, and let's just read to the end of the chapter once again. Let's listen to God's word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray once again. Lord, we do come and we have sung of your glory and majesty this morning. And we have 
the indications and the, the knowledge of that, the truth of that in the very words printed before us on these pages of your scripture. So Lord, help us to come two things today, Lord, to see and to hear. Would you give us eyes to see what you have written here, eyes to see our own hearts and eyes to really see you, to see your glory, to see your word, your promises, your salvation in Christ. And Lord, ears to hear that would not be plugged up from your word, but would be open to hear from you, O Lord, to say, our Lord, our Master, our King, the King of glory, How might we listen to you? How might we hear from you today? Lord, that only comes about by your opening the eyes and opening the ears. And so we pray by your spirit you would do that for everyone gathered in this room to listen to you and so to glorify you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our our world, and I say that our world, the world out there is in chaos in terms of truth, and that shouldn't surprise many of us. We're not like, whoa, that's a new revelation. That's not really surprising, and, and nor is it a, a new thing. It's not just the, the 2022 uh, saga of America or the world. It's been going on since the fall. There's chaos in terms of truth. Uh, reality is so skewed that there's a need to actually produce, maybe you've seen it, a documentary or a movie Asking the question, what is a woman? There, there's actually a documentary called that. Maybe you've seen it. I think I'd recommend it. Be discerning in it. I don't think it's from a necessarily Christian, but I think it's good to see. But there's, there's this documentary, and we're, we're answering this very question. And in the broad culture, men and women can no longer be identified per reality. It's some other thing going on. And even my saying this and bringing this up, I'm probably in danger of inflammatory speech just to even say or for you to say this is a woman and this is a man and this is truth and this is this is reality we are blessed and god's grace upon us for what we have before us comes from the god who is the author of truth who is ultimate reality to us we have his word before us it's true and his reality is the ultimate reality. It's built on the ultimate truth. That's who he is. And so we're looking today in this book of ultimate realities. We call it the Bible. I think you could also call it the book of ultimate reality. Where do I go for truth? I come here to the Word. And that's where we're at. But though we could, we could sneer and kind of go, why, why do we have to have a movie that way? And kind of think about the world and their, their wayward realities, which are wayward we would be wise to also consider realities or non-realities in our own lives, to examine our own realities. For instance, do you fully believe in the realities that Scripture puts forth? And I'm not asking about the world, about, I'm asking about you. Do you believe the realities that Scripture puts forth? Do you believe all of them? What, whether they're the hard realities that would come against what culture once to do or what what a sinful society wants to go and and God's word would counter that that's one reality or also another aspect the aspects of the promises of God those realities the promises of God to do for us all of what he has promised to do in Christ that 
reality. That's kind of what we're dealing with here as we look in verse 18 and beyond. We ended last week in verse 17, kind of this midway point through 13 to 25, called it the the crest of the hill, if you will. We're kind of up on the crest of the hill. Now we're coming back down the side and just a little preview. We probably won't get to the bottom of the hill yet today, but we're kind of over that crest. And this whole chapter, chapter 4, Abraham has come up over and over again. And his faith and the lesson and the fatherhood of his faith, the father of all who put their faith in the promises of God in Christ. And so he's a lesson for us to look to Christ by faith, to be counted righteous, not because of works or law, but because of faith in Christ, by God's grace, and imputed righteousness to us, Christ's righteousness. And so we saw that promise. It didn't come through the law. The law only brings wrath. It came through gracious faith, just like Abraham. And so we looked, we ended last week in verse 17, this, this who this presence of whom Abraham believed and this God in whom he believed. Who is this God? This is the God who, at the end of verse 17 says, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's the God Abraham and so too we believe in, the, this reality, the God of reality. And so now, verse 18, we're going to head back down the hill and see this intersection here of Abraham's faith and the promises of God, and then eventually, even those to us beyond Abraham here. So let's come back to verse 18 and look as we go. It says there in verse 18, In hope he, who's he? Abraham. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. It's a unique phrase here, this, this first phrase here that in hope, Abraham believed against hope. So in hope, he believed against hope. The, the idea here of Abraham fathering many nations, that's the idea in the, the promises of God. He's going to be fathered to many nations. Your offspring shall be. This idea, at the time Abraham received this, this, this promise was not off to a great start, at least from what Abraham could see. When God said, you've got it maybe in quotes, I'm in the ESV, maybe you have this in quotes or, or bold letters, this, when God says you've been, he's been told, so shall your offspring be, you see that little phrase in there? We've seen that. That comes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And at that point, Abraham had no offspring. He had, he had zero at the time. And this, this father of many nations, he didn't even have, he didn't even have a son. This, this member of his household, this Eliezer of Damascus, that would be, he would be the heir. So Abraham has no son, and here's God saying, so shall your offspring be. You get the picture of where Abraham's at, this hope against hope here. And I think Paul then is showing us, even through the life of Abraham, this greater context of impossibility for Abraham, for what had been told to him. He had been told these things, but there's an impossibility to them. We're going to see it further as we get into verse 19, this reality. Abraham's old. His wife is barren. He should not have been hopeful based on what? Based on how things looked. But Abraham was not believing based on how things looked externally. He was basing them on how things looked spiritually, how his spiritual eyes looked. That's the look of faith. He believed against hope. 
But he also believed, notice there, he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. He believed what he had been told. And we want to catch that. This is God's word that Abraham is believing, the word of God. Jeremiah 1.12, God puts it this way, confirming to his newly called prophet Jeremiah. He says, I am watching over my word to perform it. And so here Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope because of what God had said to him. In terms of our own salvation, just think on this, for us, we too ought to notice we're in the same boat of impossibility. If you remember, we've just come across, I think, in our daily reading, Matthew 19, this, this, rich, this rich young man who goes away. He, he had done all these commandments, and Jesus said, go sell all you have, and And he went away sad because he had many possessions. He was rich. He was wealthy. Jesus explains there how difficult it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And the disciples, it says there in the ESV, they were astonished. They're they're shocked. Whoa, a a rich person can't get in? And and maybe we're not not as familiar with the context or or how that was. Um, My study Bible makes this note. It says, wealth was often equated with God's favor and blessing. So they would look at somebody that was rich as God's favor. His blessing is on them. And I think there's some of that today, isn't there? We see that. Maybe we think we can waywardly think that. But they looked at that. that well, surely that person will be blessed and saved. They're wealthy. They're rich. And Jesus is saying how difficult it is for the rich to be saved. And so they asked Jesus that question. Who then can be saved? You remember what his reply is? It says, with man, this is impossible but with god all things are possible this slogan can be used for other bumper stickers and other things but let's remember the context here this is salvation this is not primarily dealing with you getting your car unlocked or or your car died on the road and god you can do the impossible he can bring it back to life he can do those things and we can it gives us a there's a general principle about god that he can do the impossible But it's primarily in the context of salvation. Us being saved and made right and the impossibility of sinful man to be saved. That's the miracle. That's the impossibility that God makes possible. It's salvation. It's your salvation. And it's also the salvation of your neighbor, which looks impossible. That's what God does. The salvation of the family member you've been praying for for years or the salvation of the, the unreached people group. Maybe some of you may one day go across the seas to preach the gospel to. It's impossible, but with God, it's made possible. We cannot be saved. We cannot know God unless he comes to us by his sovereign grace and does a work. We call it being born again with eyes to look on him. Uh, these words come from a hymn we, we sing here uh, Remember these words? I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. This is the condition of the sinner. The sin that promised joy in life. There's the promise. Sin, joy, life. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. We love because he first loved us. Abraham here believes against hope 
when there was no hope, believing what God had said. Verses 19 through 20, I'm going to develop this a little bit further. Let's look at verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Paul points out, again, this impossible situation before Abraham, this body that's as good as dead. It may not be good to go up to somebody that's 100 years old and say, you're about as good as dead. That's maybe not encouraging, but that's just kind of some reality there of what what it was like for Abraham and for his wife that was barren. The word here, you've got the word considered. As I read it, I noticed, again, it's twice here in verse 19, isn't it? He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. You've got it twice in the ESV at least. The word here can mean mean to look at in a reflective manner, to consider, to contemplate, to look at. When Abraham looked around, he ought to have weakened in the faith when he looked. Would God fulfill what he had promised, a hundred-year-old and a barren wife? But verse 19 says he did not weaken. And then further, look now at verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Paul here puts distrust, which is really anti-faith. It's like there's the word for faith here in in the Greek, and then there's an ah before it, that kind of the negating thing. It's not faith, it's distrust. So there's distrust and there's wavering, and it's up against in this verse the promise of God and this this faith that is growing strong. Let me address this one aspect before we go on here. Um, You may not remember the account back in Genesis 17. We're not going there, but you can can look it up later. When Abraham gets the news, at least specifically, of this this son, that, that a son would be born to Sarah, do you remember what his reaction was to that? You might, and, and it might, you might kind of be looking at verse 20 and go, no distrust, because the, what happens there is in Genesis 17, Abraham falls on his face and he laughs, and he, he seems to question God. These are his words. He says, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And so it seems like Abraham distrusts God. And we've got verse 20, no distrust made him waver. And I'm just helping you as you look back and you read this and maybe somebody challenges you. Well, you can't believe the Bible. It says no trust, trust, and kind of looks that way. And how do we think about that? Well, I'll let Leon Morris help us. All right, we'll let a commentator help us and then we'll comment on the commentator. He says this, Faith for Abraham was not automatic or easy. He had his problems just as the rest of us do. But, Recognizing the difficulties as he did, Abraham came to a firm faith, as is shown by his circumcising all the males of his household before Isaac was conceived. So after this moment, Abraham continues to believe, and he circumcises just as God had said. He continues. Morris continues, We must not overlook the fact that many years passed between the giving of the promise, that's Genesis 15, and its fulfillment in Genesis 21. That's how long. Scripture, that's a long time. Abraham must have been sorely tried by the delay as he saw Sarah and himself growing old and beyond the human capacity of producing a child. 
Paul is referring, so our place in Romans, Paul is referring to the settled attitude that endured all this, not to Abraham's initial reaction. The unbelief was momentary, the faith constant. Is that helpful at all to us? I think what he's doing here, he's presenting the reality of human faith as imperfect as it is. It's a faith that, as, as the verse says, grew strong. It wasn't perhaps initially a great tree of faith. But what is faith compared to in the New Testament? A, a mustard seed, a seed of faith. I don't know what kind of faith Abraham had when it was counted as righteousness to him. Mustard seed? We don't have to, man, well, how much? Well, he had 110% faith. He had small faith, big faith. God. Much time had elapsed even for him to grow that faith. For us and our faith, much time might come for us to endure a hardship you're in or you've been in for a long time. A family member who's, who's strayed or there are a million other circumstances to wait by faith. I think what Leon Morris that I read from, he contributes here this time factor to faith, and, and even to see just Abraham. This is, this is Abraham, the man of faith, and, and he too might struggle. It's, it's imperfect, but it's imperfect faith in a perfect God. He was taken aback. Maybe, and maybe, I'm just speculating, maybe it was like the Mary, Mary the virgin mother of Jesus, remember? How, how can this be? How can a virgin conceive? How, that, maybe that's that kind of questioning. But there was a foundation to Abraham's faith going back further than even when he laughed and and asked the question, back to Genesis 15. And so verse 20 tells us, instead of growing in distrust, instead of a weakening faith, he grew strong in his faith. I don't think here Abraham grew strong by his faith. I think that it's that his faith grew strong. As the impossible piles up for Abraham, the years pile on, the barrenness continues, his faith is tested. And as Doug Doug Moo puts this testing of the faith, it's like lifting weights that grow our muscles. This testing of faith, this growing of Abraham's faith and ours. Biblically, we see it New Testament passage like 1 Peter 1. You could write that down, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. You'll find it kind of a similar, boy, this sounds... Similar, Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various troubles, or various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. See faith and looking. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These trials, these hardships that you have endured or will endure in the Lord as you are in Christ grows our faith to trust in his promises and so we give glory to the lord and so we trust him despite what we externally see and and feel those sorts of things so abraham here he grew in this resolve 
to trust what God had said, even though it looked impossible. So Abraham's faith, rather than his works, indeed gave glory to God. Why? Because he was trusting in the Lord. He trusted in what God had promised. When we trust God, that's when we give glory to God. We just trust him, and we believe what he has said, and we glorify him in that. We might sing a song, glorify. How do we glorify? We, we obey. We trust. We believe. We look to him. We look to his word. And so we get to verse 21. I have a little note in my margin. This is faith. Uh, you can find it, Hebrews 11. Even, I think, probably a similar idea. But verse 21, probably one of the most helpful definitions, I think, of faith here. If you want to know, what, what is faith? We've been talking about faith for a long time. What is this? In fact, what is it? Look at verse 21. So he gave glory to God, verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Faith is Abraham being fully convinced of two, two truths about God. Number one, he's able. We'll talk about that. And then number two, he's able according to his promise, according to what he has said. What God says, he is able to do. It's not just he might do it. He is able to do that. And is this not at the heart of faith and belief? And, and, and for Israel in the wilderness who time again disobeyed God, they failed to believe their God and to trust him and to obey based on who he had said he was and his faithfulness to his promises. In verse 20 here, the focus is on Abraham. You see it kind of at the end of verse 20. He grew strong in his faith. He's growing strong in the faith. And then verse 21, probably can't see it as well, although maybe some of your translations do. Paul uses this strength word again. It's here again. I don't often pronounce Greek words. It's not super helpful, but the Greek word is dunatos here. And you see it translated, at least in verse 21, as God was able. So Abraham's convinced God was fully convinced that God was, you could put in able, powerful. God was strong enough to do what he said. It's this strength. And, and you see it there. Abraham's growing strong, and he trusts in the strong one, the able one. Very interestingly, also, if we look back, we think back in Matthew 19, what, that, that rich young man that we were just talking about, the, the, the faith and, and uh, salvation and what's impossible with man is possible with God. So Jesus said, you know, or the disciples, who then can be saved? Jesus says, with, the, with man, this is adunatan. So we got dunatas. This is, with man, this is adunatan. It's, it's not possible but with God, all things are dunata. They're possible. And so it's quite interesting that, that saying this strong word, this is the strong God, this is Abraham fully convinced. So that's faith here. Fully convinced that God is able to do what he says. I think I've, I won't sing it for you, but this song I learned when I was young, um, maybe Eva sang it at camp this week. Faith is just believing what God says he will do. No matter what the circumstance, his promises are true. You're going to get to know it by the, I mean, by the, as the years go on, hopefully. So when your life is hard and you're not sure what you should do, it's best to take God at his word. 
I think it's that idea right here in verse 21. Faith is believing what God says He will do. No matter the circumstance, His promises are true. They're reality. And so we come full circle then. Paul brings us back in verse 22 to the familiar theme of the chapter where it says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Here again is this direct quote coming from Genesis 15.6. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteous. We saw it back in verse, I think verse, verse 3 it is there in the chapter. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But then verse, just to think about it, verse 22 seems to put this, this counting of righteousness kind of near the time of of Abraham being old, 100 years old. And, and this is some t- chronologically, 20, yeah, I think the Jewish people said 29 years passed since God gave that initial, you know, so shall your offspring be, that initial promise 29 years later. And it seems in that context, verse 22, that Paul's talking about Abraham's faith being counted as righteous. All right, so, well, I thought it was counted in Genesis 15. This seems to be referring maybe later on in his life. What about this faith? Well, one thing here in this verse, 22, is kind of like a bookend. I think that's what one commentator shows. It's just Paul, he's kind of bringing everything back to the bookend of this chapter. But there's also another aspect that I think is interesting to consider here. And I would would just propose that what verse 22 does, it, it bookends, it brings it back. His faith is counted as righteousness. But I don't think Paul's necessarily referring necessarily to faith as just at this point, and then there's the rest of Abraham's life. There's Abraham's faith and his continuing faith, his persevering faith. It's a faith that endures or perseveres. Doctrinally, if you think of theology, this is called the the perseverance of the saints. Our statement of faith, you can read, we've got copies. If you don't, let me know. I want to Make sure you know what we believe here. It says it this way. It says, All who are born of the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ can have assurance of salvation and are eternally secure in Christ. All who are justified, think of that declaration of righteousness, will win the lifelong fight of faith. So there's this momentary, there's this justification, and there's this lifelong faith, fight of faith. It says they will persevere in faith, and never surrender to the enemy of their souls. This perseverance is the promise of the new covenant obtained by the blood of Christ and worked in us by God himself. And this is a great last line. This God-worked perseverance does not serve to diminish our vigilance, but only to empower and encourage it. We're not saying we hope you make it, you might lose it, True faith will endure, but true faith is based on God's working in us to persevere. But it will. It will continue. And that's why I think there's some warnings for us in Scripture to examine that faith. Is that faith true? Is it a reality? Not not a perfect faith, as we see, but will it continue? Uh, That's why I think James can point out Faith without works is is dead. And he too uses Abraham's life as a demonstration. So we've got this counted as righteous and we've got this a life of faith for Abraham. 
Wayne Grudem offers these three questions just to even help us to examine our own faith. And I, I appreciate it. He's not going back to it. You know, did you ask Jesus in your heart when you were age six or, or to a certain moment? But he's saying, here's three questions for us to examine our faith. Well, number one, and maybe you examine your faith. Are you counted righteous? Do I have a present trust in Christ for salvation? I like that question. It's not about what you did 10 years ago. Are you presently trusting in Christ for your salvation today? Resting, not on your good deeds, but on Christ. Number two, is there current evidence of a regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in my heart? You see the Spirit convicting, bringing conviction, growing you in the faith. As Brandon prayed this morning, growing those desires for Christ. A growth, not a perfection, a, a growth towards that way. It's a helpful question. Is your character in life, does it look more like Christ? And then maybe related, question number three, do I see a long-term pattern of growth? And the pattern can... An elderly man in, in the church I once was, just, you know, this pattern can look like this and wiggle, wobble, but this pattern eventually, there's, there's growth to it. There's growth and maturity in the faith. Are you maturing in the faith? This is not a, this is how you get saved. This is your justification. That's Christ. Again, as we say, the evidence of it, and Paul's going to get to this, the evidence ought to be there that you look like someone who is, as we are at the baptism, dead in, to sin and alive to Christ that your life would look that way. Not as your salvation, evidence of it, evidence of your faith. Again, for this, when we think of these things and think of perseverance, can I lose my salvation? These sorts of things, they can come, maybe there's more categories, but there's two categories. Some of you sitting here need that warning. You need to be warned, and you, you ought to question your life, and you ought to look back and go, does my life look like I have faith in Christ? that I am growing in Him. That, that's some of you. Others of you, this just is immense worry. Oh, you mentioned that again, losing my salvation. What do I do? I don't know if I can keep it. And there's a worry that sets in. Dear brother or sister in the Lord, where do you go with that worry? You go to the cross. That's the only place. You don't look in here, what I'm so prone to do. Am I okay? Am I, am, am I doing it? Am I, I hope No. God has shown you Christ. Run back to Him again. Look to Christ. He is your salvation. And then, and then what does Hebrews say? He's the author and it's a beautiful line, perfecter of our faith. Isn't that beautiful? He's the author of it. He begins it. Begins it. Begins it. He began a good work. He will be faithful to complete it. And then there's the biblical call. Look at your life. Examine it. First John is all about, look, are you loving the Lord? Or are you hating your brother? Look at this. Examine yourself. Do that. It's a warning. But then look to Christ. Well, that's some speculation on verse 22, but I, I think there's something to that, that yes, there's this counted as righteous, but there's also a true faith that endures, perseveres, to use that language. Abraham's faith endured, really, because it was not, Himself he was looking to. It was not of him. It was of God. He was looking to God. And so God is glorified as Abraham trusts God. Fully convinced he's able to do what he had promised. Now at this point in the time of our day and in my preparation for study, I am already on page four. And when I know I'm on page four, 
I shouldn't go further. So we're going to just kind of, feels like a radio sermon. We're just going to commercial break, and we'll come back next week to this. Because I don't, I, I don't, in my study, I want to study verses 23 to 25 just a bit more. But I also don't want to just rush through it. There is, there is truth we need to hear in. I just don't want to tack it on to the end of a sermon, even though it's, it's the application of this whole thing. And you can read ahead. And ladies who are studying this during the week, I apologize. I've thrown you for loops, and you're trying to study this. And men, they're, they're studying the, the, some of them are studying the passage beforehand and then seeing the sermon on, on Sunday, and it's, and it's helpful. Men, you'd be welcome to go along with that. I put the scriptures in, the, in your bulletin down by the dinner questions there, so you'll know mostly what's next week. So we mostly covered this week, but we're going to look at verses 23 and 25 next week, Lord willing. Let's just close with this question, though, with this thought. Where do you land, where do you individually land in terms of taking God at his word? Do you take God at his word? Are you, are you like verse 21, fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised? And we're going to see next week, this was not written just for Abraham, but for us also. Praise the Lord. He's revealed himself in his word. Ultimate reality and truth is found in God, and so we can trust him. We can trust his word, and ultimately we can trust the Savior, Jesus Christ, whom God sent forth the fullness of time that we might be adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And verses 24, 25 are going to tell us, through Christ we are delivered, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised that we might be counted righteous. Brother, sister, look to Christ. If you have wandered away, some of those Wayne Grudem questions are penetrating about your current lifestyle and evidence of faith. Run to Christ. It's the same for both. He is who we need for the Mondays and Tuesdays until we meet again next week. Let's pray together. Father, you are indeed who we need for eternity, and we thank you that one day these imperfect bodies and the imperfect faith will all be shed away, that we would be glorified, and we will rejoice in your presence in pure light, pure glory, pure holiness forever. Lord, I pray for us as a congregation, as sheep of your pasture, those whom you have begun a good work in, that you would give us a hunger for holiness. That's not a bad word. That's not a bad hunger. It's the hunger of those who know their God and who know you. And so we just pray that you would work that in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that the promises of your word are true. And Lord, where we have come to your word as maybe just a way to, to read and get through a chart, or maybe we're not reading it much, Lord, would we be a people, all of us in this church, of the word? Our arguments be based on words, the reality based on your word. Our lives, our families, the way we father, mother, the way we are a child in the home, the way we live a single life would be according to your true and right promises in your word. We pray for your spirit to help us to make and grow our faith to be stronger. Thank you for your grace in all this. In Jesus' name, amen.
You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.